to acknowledge all our veterans, and I'm so sorry about that. I know we celebrated Veterans Day this past week, and so if you're a veteran, can you just raise your hand or stand up? Right on. Thank you, guys. We live in the greatest country, and uh, it's all because of what people have sacrificed and the freedoms that we have. And let us enjoy those freedoms continuously. Turn, if you will, to First John chapter 4. As we finish this chapter this morning, we will be reading the, the whole entire chapter this morning. So you, make, you can make your way there and I will start reading. And then you can catch up if you're not there already. And every once in a while I will mention what verse we're on so that you can, uh, it can help you to catch up, so you won't be totally lost as we're reading through the whole chapter. But by now you're probably there, because I used some stalling tactics, <laughs> trying to encourage you to be there, but I will still mention every once in a while where we're at in case you get lost. So with that, First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. But this we know, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his son, his only begotten son, into the world that we might live through him. In this, the love of God, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. But we, if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we, are, we abide in him. And he in us. Because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior to the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Father, we do pray, God, that you would just use this word to penetrate our hearts and help me as I deliver this word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Going back to where we'll be starting in verse 12. He starts off this portion by saying, No one has seen God. No one has seen God at any time. This isn't the first time John says this or the statement is made because over in his gospel, the first part of chapter 1, verse 18 in the gospel of John, he says the very same thing as John is introducing in his letter, in that gospel, Jesus in the flesh. The fact that he came from the bosom of the Father in heaven and that he was the only one who who could declare him Nobody else could. Now, from what I know from the OT, from the Old Testament, there are several times that I see and read that some men talked with God, they walked with God, and they saw God. Take, for instance, Adam. It tells us that he talked with God and he walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden. We also know that when he fell, when him and Eve fell, that God came and spoke to them. And they heard him. And they conversed with him. Enoch, it tells us that he walked with God and he pleased God so much that God just took him. But he walked with God. God appeared to Abraham. Moses, it says that he talked to God face to face as a friend to a friend. Then we have Isaiah and and Ezekiel and and, and Daniel who saw visions of God or they seen His glory. And there was others. All of that is true and yet this statement that we read in 1 John chapter 4 in verse 12 is also true. That no one has seen God at any time. You see, because God is a spirit. He is infinite And he is eternal. And he himself is invisible. And Colossians tells us that Jesus is in the likeness of the the invisible God. It is is the spiritual realm that I don't think we could quite comprehend. I mean, we we could talk about being invisible, right? But we really can't comprehend that invisibility. The fact that he is spirit. 
We oftentimes, you know, we have this image of what God looks like or his throne and all that stuff. And, and again, I mean, it's okay. That's what we do. We have images like that. But to understand what is invisible, that is spirit. We talk about the spiritual realm. We talk about the unseen world. But can we really quite comprehend it? I think not. <laughs> Maybe you could. I can't. It just blows my mind to think that God is invisible. I don't think we can quite comprehend it. Christ, however, has revealed God to man. But before Jesus became incarnate, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all invisible. They were in that realm that you could not see God. Not, not the way we think we could see God. The, the OT characters that, that, that we mentioned who, who have written that they saw God or walked with God or talked with God saw a form that God took, a theophany, a pre-incarnate of God by God the Holy Spirit or God the Son an appearance of some kind in which he revealed himself to people. And they saw his glory and they saw his splendor, his aftermath or his afterglow, if you will. But they could not see his deity, who he truly is. They could not see that. The very essence of who God is, his true form, nobody has ever seen. I'll try to break it down like this. I try to come up with something to try to make you understand or help you understand. You have never seen the real me in true form. Don't get all crazy ideas there, but you have never seen the very essence of who I am what you do see is this fine specimen of a body. That's about it. That's all you see. An example of who is in me. Yeah, they're leaving. It's like, he's going to go throw up. That's what he's going to go do. But when I, but when I breathe my last breath here on earth, all that will remain is a fine sediment of this body. That's about it. A residue of what, who I really am. It, 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 again, this body will just be a shell. That's it. Who I really am will not be in there anymore. This body with no life in it is nothing but a carcass that has nothing in it. That, it, that, it, that there's no spirit in it that makes you move, that makes you talk, that makes you hear, that makes you listen, that makes you all those kinds of things. Without the spirit that is in you, it is dead and it is worthless in that sense. This body will decay and return to the earth from which it was made, the Bible tells us. What should remain and what you guys should Remember, is my character, who I was, not so much this fine specimen. Not so much that. 
<laughs> How do I relate this? <laughs> God revealed Himself in and through Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this, If you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. Now, did He look like... It's like, oh, God looks like you? Whatever Jesus looked like. No, that's not what he meant. If you've seen me and you understand my character and who I am, my, my attributes, you have seen the Father. You know who the Father is, not by my physical appearance, but from who I am. Who I really am. He revealed... Himself, God did through Jesus Christ. But when Jesus left this earth to go back to heaven, in a sense, He left a residue. He, he, he left something for the people to, to, to grab onto in that sense of who He was, and that is the Holy Spirit. We still can't see it, but we can understand that at one point God made Himself known here. No one has ever seen God at any time. But there is evidence that He was here. And that evidence is the Holy Spirit. And what is remembered of God's character through all of that is love. That is His character, love. That is what we take away. Even though we haven't seen God at any time, we know that He is love through the Holy Spirit who dwells here on earth. Even though we can't see Him, we know that He has promised that He would be with us, in us, and upon us. So the God who has never been seen before shows Himself in and through love. And He ends up demonstrating that love to man And now man is to show that love to others. That's how you know God is here. By the love that we have for one another. Because once again, Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples, that you are a part of me, that you represent me if you love one another. Period. We are to show who God is. By who, by how we are to, by how we love. So if we love one another, it says in verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. His love has been perfected in us. And that word perfected means completed in other words, it means that love has ran its course as has, or has run its full course. Love has reached <clears throat> maturity. That's what that word perfected means when he says <clears throat> that if God abides in us and his love will be made complete in us. It will run its course in us. We are the ones that, that demonstrate that love to people. It has reached full maturity in us. The Apostle John is talking to his readers about a deeper sense of what love is. And it only comes from maturity. 
to have that deeper sense of love that he is talking about here, that perfected love. And notice that I didn't say that this love comes with time. (laughs) To have this sense of mature, complete, perfect love depends on the growth in the Lord of an individual. Time has nothing to do with it. Because I have known many, many Christians who have been Christians for a long, long time, and yet they have not had perfected love in them. They have not matured to that kind of love that he is talking about here. And it's not because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there. They are just not exercising their faith or adding to their faith as Second Peter 1 5 through 7 says, he says, but also for this very reason, giving to all or giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. See that exercising? (laughs) I got tired just talking about it. It's this exercising of our faith that matures us to this love that is perfected in us as we are growing in Christ. This deeper sense of love that that John is talking about is what gives us confidence, boldness in who we are in Christ, who has given us of His Spirit To be able to love. It's a spirit that does the work in us. If you say you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But can you say that you have perfected love? Mature love. Complete love. In verse 14 to 16, he says, And we have seen and testified that God, that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. We have seen and testify. Now, John could have been talking about those who were eyewitnesses with him when he says the word we, or uses the word we. Those who had been with him and seen Jesus physically, as he had mentioned in the beginning of this letter, talking about being an eyewitness. But it could also be referring to all those that he is writing to, and that includes us today. When when he says, and we have seen and testify. Those who, through faith, have confessed, have known, have believed that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. See, even though he might be talking about those who were literal eyewitnesses, when I read the word, I want to put myself there and say, he is still speaking to me. Even though he might be talking to them, this could apply to me too. (laughs) Because we should always take the word personal. I mean, there's times that it's like he's talking to certain people and we need to understand that, but that we we can always glean from what he is sharing in, in the word. What John experienced in the flesh as an eyewitness when Jesus dwelt among him physically, these, or for that matter, us, are experiencing this spiritually. Jesus dwells among, dwelt among them and he dwells 
in his spirit, with his spirit, dwells, makes his home in us, the Bible tells us. So in essence, all believers have seen and testified and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All believers should be able to testify because the evidence is that of love. There's an evidence, you know, if, if you're going to go testify in front of a, a judge or a court of law, they want some evidence, right? They want some eyewitnesses. And so all believers should be able to testify and that evidence should be love. Because God is love. And love sent His Son. And love died on the cross to save mankind, to save us. And so we should be testifying of that because we've experienced that love. In, in, in a sense, we're eyewitnesses because we've experienced it in that sense. Love is that very character of God. The God who has never been seen with our own eyes, but we should be able to testify of that love because it should be evident (laughs) it should be so evident in our lives this kind of love so to me i I, can 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 you kind of see this full circle here no one has seen god at any time but the evidence that he has come and made his home in man is love And it is that love that should enable us to testify as if we have seen Him with our own eyes. Once again, this perfected, complete, mature love should give us that confidence to testify. We should be so convinced (laughs) because of love. Because that love that He has given to us, The love that God has for us. As it said in verse, where was it? 16. That love that God has for us because God is love. Verses 17 through 19 where it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because As he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear, or casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. This this deeper sense of love that John is talking about brings about a boldness, a a confidence in the day of judgment. Now, boldness and confidence are not two words that you would use to describe someone who is about to enter a court of law. Unless he is totally innocent and he has so much confidence that there is nothing that can convict him. But somebody who knows that they are guilty and they're 
their mouthpiece over here is like saying all these stories, man. There's like, how could you be so confident knowing that you did what you did? And this liar, I mean, lawyer is telling the, the judge that you didn't do it. Sorry if there's any lawyers. I'm sure that's not the first time you heard that one. There, there, there is usually fear associated with that that they're going to say, no, you're guilty. And you're wanting not to be. There's, there, there's a terror that comes with that. And what I think that what, God, or what John is getting at here, those who are not loving one another as they have been commanded to do, whether they realize it or not, if they are not loving one another, oftentimes, more than likely, there is fear that grips them on a regular basis. A Christian who is continuously in fear that he doesn't measure up or that God is eventually going to like find him out, you know, that there's that fear, there's that terror that I can never, I'm just never like tight with God. More than likely is because you're not loving one another because that's what we have been commanded to do. If you are loving one another on a continual basis, that that is just who you are because of Christ being in you, man, you walk around in confidence, not arrogance, but confidence, knowing who you are in Christ. But when you're not doing that, oftentimes there is that fear that keeps you from doing things because it's almost like you're not being obedient. And you know that. That's the thing. You know that. And, and it's not that you don't have the Holy Spirit. It's quite the opposite. The Holy Spirit continues to convict you in your heart, but you continue to be disobedient and not love the people that God told you to love. And so you always walk around in this uneasiness. Which, is, which stems from fear that you're just never quite there. And yet, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, get this one, and of love, and of a sound mind. If you are walking in the power of God, and you are walking in love, and in a sound mind, what do you have to fear? But if you are battling fear, terror, torment, things like that on a regular basis as a brother or sister in Christ, then more than likely love has not been perfected in you. You have not matured in love. You have not advanced in love in that sense. Perfected, complete, mature love will give us confidence and boldness it says in the day of judgment and if he is referring to the great white throne judgment what do we have to fear at the great white throne judgment when the judge is our father the defense attorney is my advocate he's already forgiven my sins what do i have to fear on the on on the day of the white throne judgment Honestly, not being arrogant, I just know Jesus is going to step up and says, He was a knucklehead, but He's mine. He's my knucklehead. And I died for Him, and He received that. <laughs> so I'm going, next line? Okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
I'm cool. I'm cool. Now, if John's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, which is a possibility, this sense of love gives me the confidence there as well. Because the judgment seat of Christ is more of the rewards that will be given or not given. Everything that I've done as a Christian will go through the fire. Should I be afraid of that? I got a feeling a lot of stuff is going to be burnt up already. I already know that. I don't think it's all going to come out pure as gold and silver and precious stones. I understand that. I, 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 I just know that. And you know what? I, I have no fear. You know why? Because I know He knows me. <laughs> I know that He knows that I can't match up to, to produce gold every stinking day. I want to, I try to, but there's going to be a lot of stuff that's burnt up. So I can still have confidence in the day of, of, of judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. What do I have to fear then? What do I have to fear? If, if you fear, maybe, maybe you don't fear the, the, the great white throne judgment because you know that he's going to say, hey man, he's one of mine. But if you're fearing the judgment seat of Christ because everything that you've done will come through the fire, then more than likely it's because you know you're being disobedient. Now I'm not saying it's like, well, I don't care about it. No, I'm saying have a heart to do what's right, to do what you've been commanded to do and love one another, but understand this, there will be stuff that gets burnt up. But if you fear having, it's almost like even today you fear that God knows what you're thinking and doing. And quite honestly, it's like, even if you fear, He still knows. Your fear does not hide what you're doing or what you're thinking. So it's almost like he knows you already. And think about this. He still digs on you. He still likes you. Okay, he loves you. He still does that. You see, there is no fear in love. There is no fear. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that is the spirit that he has given to us, not the spirit of fear. Perfect love, perfect, or, or perfect love, complete love, mature love, love that has run its course, casts out fear. It does not exist in that kind of love. Fear cannot exist there because you have nothing to fear. If you totally understand the scope of what he is talking to, talking about this love, what can the enemy do to you if you understand the scope of his love for you? What, what, what can this world really, really do to you if you understand his love? What, what, what can your own flesh even do to you? What, what, what would cause fear to rise above the love of Christ. Unless <laughs> you're the one that's stifling this love. You're the one that's smothering. You're the one that's, that's suppressing this love because of your hatred toward one another, even as a Christian. Because if you're doing this and you know that you are, 
And fear will grip you when it comes to the day of judgment because you're going to think he's going to find everything out that day. It's like, got news for you. He knows about it right now. He knows about it. Fear involves torment. And torment is associated with punishment. Which proves that you do not understand this love. If, if you have this fear of this, this punishment, this torment that, that, that you're going through, you don't understand the love of God. Not this kind of love that he's talking about. The, the underlining tone that, God, that John is sharing is that the lack of perfect, complete, mature love will not allow you to have that boldness, that confidence in the day of judgment. Even today, it keeps you from being bold and confident in Christ and what He wants you to be today. In a sense, you're always being tormented and thinking that Jesus is out to get you. He's always out to get you. Or, or that He is just waiting for you to mess up so He can drop the hammer on you. See, that's your mindset on a regular basis. You're fearing that all the time. If something doesn't go right in your life, you're thinking, he did it, he allowed it, he's getting back at me, I deserve it. Your confidence in Christ is non-existent. Because fear involves torment, and you don't understand the love of God. Not the love of God that he's talking about here. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. We don't have time to read it, but you should read Romans chapter 8. If you're battling with fear, you need chapter 8. You, you, you need to memorize chapter 8. Memorize it? Yes. At least know, really, know it really, 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 really well. But fear will keep you in a place of torment. God wants, what God wants from us is love and confidence, not fear and torment. That's what he wants for us. He, he, he wants boldness, or did I, love and confidence. That's what he wants. If you are in Christ, then your sins are already judged. And, and look at what it says at the end of verse 17, going back there. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So as he is right now at the right hand of the Father, he, he, you know what he carries with him at the right hand of the Father right now? The scars of what he paid for, his sins, our sins. In, in one sense, Jesus has already been judged for your sins and my sins. So as he is already judged, so are we in this world. That's the confidence that we can have, that we are not going to be judged again. Because Jesus will never be judged again. So as he is, so are we in this world today. And you can walk in that confidence. That you will not have to pay for your sins because you, you already came to Christ and he paid for them on the cross. 
That's why we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because there is no fear, none whatsoever. God has assured us that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no fear. We love him because he first loved us, verse 19. But a better translation would be, we love because he first loved us. You can take away that him from there. We love, not just God, but we are to love one another because he first loved us. We are to love one another. If we say we love God, how can we hate our brother? We've never seen God, and yet we say we love him. And he says, and whoever says that he loves God and yet hates his brother, dislikes his brother, has, a, has an ought against a brother in a sense, how can you say you love God? You're a liar. Well, that's what he said. We are to love one another. If we say we love God, the, the end of verse 21 says, I'll just read the whole thing. And this commandment he has, he has, we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. We don't need to fear. We don't need to fear in the day of judgment, and we don't need to fear today because our sins have been judged. When we do stand, whether at the white throne judgment or at the, at, at the judgment seat of Christ, the judge loves us. We're in with them. We're kind of like family. He loves us so much that he sent his son to be the Savior so that now we can be like he is. He's already judged us. Our sins and our fears have been washed away. Amen? Guys, continue in this love. If you're in a place where, where man, you, you're like, man, I, I just don't know that kind of love. It's not because the Holy Spirit isn't trying to, to do that work in you. Oh, He's just waiting for you to surrender. And if you're a Christian and you're struggling, man, I, I, please don't leave here without getting prayer. Again, I, it's sometimes it's like, oh, I can't tell everybody that I'm... Why not? We've all been there. We, were all, we're, we, we battle that day in and day out. So don't leave here without getting prayer. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, once again, we do come before you and we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your great love. This love, Lord God, that you revealed to us through Jesus Christ, that you allowed to remain through the Holy Spirit, you've given it to us, Lord. Lord, your word says that you demonstrated this love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And He showed us that love, Lord. And now we are to love one another. You've given us that. And I pray that this morning, Lord, You would bring conviction upon those who are struggling to love. And yet they've received Your love. I pray that they would be able to love.
because you first loved them. So, Lord, convict their hearts. Humble their hearts, Lord. Break them if you need to so that they can learn to love, Lord. Not grudgingly, Lord, but with great gratitude as they receive more and more of your love. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has come this morning, they don't know you, they don't quite comprehend this love because they've never really experienced it, Lord. I pray that even this morning, Lord, you would capture their heart, that they would understand, Lord God, that the fear that they have is mainly because they don't know you and they fear the judge and they fear judgment. And I pray that this morning, you would humble their hearts as well. That they might come to know you and repent. That they might be justified by the judge himself. If there's anyone here this morning, again, as simple as, as raising your hand, I want to give you that opportunity if you've never asked Jesus into your life to receive this kind of love that will free you from the fear that you've been experiencing in your life. Is there anyone this morning, and you Christians be praying for those who are here that need that love? Just raise your hand and I want to pray for you. This prayer is not what saves you. It's your confession that you are a sinner and that Christ, that you need Christ. Is there anyone this morning? Father, again, just bless you and thank you. And I pray that, God, you would work in and through our brothers and sisters, Lord, that we might be able to demonstrate that love. That, Lord, they might be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of your grace and love and peace. That they might be able to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. I love you.